0: This is episode 159 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Winter Youth 2008 Epiphany Kingdom with Chris C. This is session one. It is, uh, it's great to be with you guys. I'm really glad that Scott's here and is going to be painting and helping us tell the story of God uh, in some ways that hopefully we connect with. I used to um, drive a Kia. And uh, for a long time, but now I've I've, uh, upgraded. All of a sudden, people treat me with a lot more respect. When I drove a Kia, nobody paid any attention to me. Now I found an old Mercedes that I converted. You know how you do that with diesel engines, and you can run them off the used restaurant oil? So that's what he's talking about. But I I do appreciate the fact that I get a little more respect now with the Benz. And um, valets actually call me sir now. They used to laugh when I pulled the Kia in. But that doesn't really matter to you. The stuff we're talking about over the next couple of days are are the things that um, I think your your youth groups, your churches, and uh, CB Northwest that has pulled you together are the things that we would say we are most sure of. We could have pulled together a little weekend and we could have said we're going to talk about uh, end times, tribulation or something, or we could have uh, picked some obscure passage that we weren't really sure about. And um, we could talk about what we think or what we know. What, what we're going to talk about over these few days are the things that I think we can say we are absolutely sure. This is the stuff um, that is the very foundation of our faith. This is, gonna, this is a weird experience when you stand out this far and your voice comes from the speakers right at you. You guys can relate a little bit? It's a weird... I'm going to pull back a little bit so that I don't feel... Let me, I wanted to share with you a poem that's kind of about this. Uh, it's uh, by a poet named Taylor Molly um, he uh, wrote this poem he's a New York school teacher and poet and Taylor Molly um, talks about these things that we're sure of the sense of authority in this poem Have you heard it before it's called totally like whatever you know you, you know what I'm talking about Taylor Molly says it like this he says in case you hadn't noticed it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about? Or believe strongly in what you're like saying? Invisible question marks and parenthetical you know, You know what I'm saying? have been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences even when those sentences aren't like questions. You know, (laughs) declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, you know, like declare things to be true, as opposed to other things which are like totally not. have been infected by this tragically cool and totally hip interrogative tone, you know, As if to say, don't think I'm uncool just because I noticed this, okay? I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions. I'm just asking you to join me on the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. You know? (laughs) What has happened to our conviction? Where are the limbs out from which we once walked? Have they been, like, chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? You know? Or do we just have, like, nothing to say? Has society become so conflicted by these feelings of yeah, that we've just gotten to the point where we're the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, like, a long time ago? (laughs) So I implore you. I entreat you. I challenge you to speak with conviction, to say what you mean in a manner that bespeaks the determination to which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it's not enough these days just to question authority. You gotta speak with it too. Taylor Miley captured in this poem a large part of what I hope you uh, experience over our couple of days together. The stuff we're going to talk about is not the stuff that I'm like, maybe that's kind of true. This is part of it. I'm not really sure. There's a lot in the Bible I don't completely understand. I'll tell you. But the very foundations of our faith that we'll talk about in kingdom life and what epiphany is, th- th- this is, this is the core of what it means to walk in faith. And too often, they're the things that we have entirely missed. And they bring about beauty and uh, a chaos that's hard to fathom. And so my hope is that as we um, read the scriptures, that you're going to ponder them well. One of the best things about having uh, kids is watching when they're... Uh, their heads start kind of turning with ideas right so a couple of weeks ago i was getting ready for church and putting my uh, 5 year old psalm, and i've got four kids 10 8 5 and 2 the boys are the younger ones they're 5 and he just turned 3 and i as a good father pastor would just at bedtime i decided we'd watch something really calming we were watching bullfighting and um <laughs> And you could tell where I'm explaining to him how bullfight, you know, how not bullfighting but bull riding. Bullfighting would have really been tough. Um, like, dude, that pastor is really messed up. He watches bullfights with his five-year-old. Um, so I'm explaining to him bull riding, you know, and that if you stay on eight seconds, that's a pretty big deal. And and I could tell his head was just turning. Right, he does this a lot. When he was two, I saw him back in the back seat. You could just tell he was thinking really hard. And I asked him. Salmon, what are you thinking about back there? And he goes, I'm just thinking about how much I love them waffles. (laughs) That's when I knew. I'm like, that's my boy right there. That is my boy. That's what I do. I drive around. I think about Mexican food. I'm like, oh, is there Mexican food anywhere close here? I need to pull in. Taco Bell is not Mexican food. I'm from Texas, and you can't insult uh, Mexican food by associating it with Taco Bell. So... Uh, God bless you if you enjoy it, but um, yeah, it will kill you. So, um, so I could tell we're watching a bull riding, and he's thinking really hard, and he goes, "Dad, I got a good idea." And you always know that's trouble with your kids. He you said, "Well, what is it, Solomon?" He's thinking about bull. He goes, "I know how to make bull bull riding better." I'm like, Okay, well, what what do you do? He goes, "They should all let the bulls go at the same time." <laughs> oh. This kid's a genius. He's, he's going to be a bit like a reality TV producer or something, you know, because I can see they'll probably do that on reality TV somewhere. And I uh, just, yeah, all the people flying everywhere and bulls going everywhere. And, and uh, he thought, man, that, not that I would watch, right? So I, life in the kingdom is, uh, is that kind of activity. It's hard to keep up with all the things that are happening. And so we're going to focus in uh, one at a time, hopefully, on some of the key understandings of what it means to live that life in the faith, and as we walk through the scriptures, part of what I need you to know is um, is that we're we're trying to read the scriptures well together um, over these few days, and that doesn't always happen among Christians. Uh, sometimes the Bible, this thing that God prayed uh, would pull us together, that would be this, uh, would give us a path for how to walk, has been this place that we have often become divided. It's almost crazy to think, but the Christians fight and almost kill themselves uh, too many times over the Bible. We we were told it was a sword, and we thought it was used to to hurt people with, right? Where the truth is it's, it's a sword used, like, for surgery on our own lives, right? Uh, the best way I can explain it to you, I, I told you this story last year, I hope some of you remember, um, is uh, my uh, I got to do this book, uh, this book with my dad. My dad and my grandfather are both pastors, and um, my mom's dad. And so my dad's dad died in the Korean War, and we don't know much about his family and haven't heard many of those stories. So there were all these kind of family secrets. You guys' families probably have some that you just hit this place and nobody will talk about it, right? And um, for me, they were about my pappy. My dad's uh, dad died in the Korean War, so he was raised by his grandparents. And uh, my pappy was a one arm truck driver. Um, I don't know if you know any one arm truck drivers, but the world should have more of them. As a little kid, it was very impressive. So you would go, across, I would crawl up in his lap, and he, he drove a big dump truck. Um, so he, he only had his left arm, and he had a big stick. And he, his left arm was so massive and strong. It was unbelievable. And he could drive that big old truck with that stick. And um, I remember as a kid, um, finally getting the words, like three or four years old, I'm kind of sitting there in his lap playing with his stub, and um, <laughs> it cut off right about his elbow. And um, finally I had the words to say, what happened, right? And nobody, it just got dead silent, nobody would talk about it. Um, so as an adult, I finally decided to push in, and I went and, uh, uh, and met with my uh, my aunt's sister. I, I, she probably has a name, I don't know it, she's just always been aunt's sister. and. Um, <laughs> And so I wanted to know what happened to Pappy. I don't know Pappy's name either. He's just Pappy to me. And so I, said, I wanted to know what happened to Pappy. And as the, the story goes, my, uh, my Pappy was in a bar in Houston, not far from where I live. And he got in a fight with a man about the way this man was treating a woman, right? This is kind of a... a pattern. It's where I, part of the, where I knew I was related to him, because I'm the kind of person that, if I don't like the way you talk to your kid at a restaurant, I just let you know, like, hey, that's totally inappropriate, you know? My wife's like, shut up, that's none of your business, right? So, I almost, I got in a little trouble about this time last year, Christmas, I was, I stopped by, there's this place, it's a very dark place for me, I can get sucked in easily into sin, it's a place called Poncho's, it's a Mexican buffet, <laughs> and um, I could stay there for days, and I'm, um, I pulled into it because I was being very tempted, and you know you have problems if you go to a Mexican buffet by yourself. You have a problem. <laughs> you, you need to belong to a group somewhere. I'm Chris. I'm addicted to Mexican buffets. So, um, so I'm walking in, and because such upstanding people hang out there, there was this um, this guy at the front door. He was smoking a cigarette um, over like a three-week-old baby, and um, that drives me crazy, right? So, I knew I had to stop and say, hey, you know what, that's not a good idea to smoke your cigarette over. This baby clearly was like just home from the hospital or something. And he goes, well, who are you? So I'm just the guy here telling you you don't smoke over a three-week-old baby. Like, go over there and smoke or put out your cigarette. And you could see he was kind of sizing me up, you know. And this is where it's hard to know. Is this the time to say I'm a pastor? Is this a good, like, transition moment or something to... <laughs> quote a scripture or what do I say? And um, So we have this kind of stare down and then he puts out a cigarette. I won. I could have taken him by the way if I needed to. Um, I didn't win. The baby won, right? So this is part of what we do in my family. My grandfather was a lot like me apparently and he, he didn't like the way this man was treating a woman in the bar. He gets in a fight with him. He whoops this guy. He thinks the fight's over. This guy goes out to his truck. He gets a gun. He comes back in, and he shoots my pappy's right arm off, severs it, right? Which totally blew my mind as you were hearing this story. I thought, man, that's what a way to lose your arm. And then my pappy, he picks this guy up with his left arm, his non-dominant arm. He picks this guy up, he throws him against a brick wall, and it kills him. Now, at first, this story, I, I didn't even know what to do with it. Every now and then, uh, when I was negotiating the next book deal with the publisher, um, I would tell the story. So um, They would make me an offer, and I would say, let me tell you about my pappy. (laughs) We have a history of killing people with one arm in my family. And they would come back with a much better offer. It worked out really good for me. Um, But it took me a while to figure out that um, what happened to my pappy that day uh, was unbelievably devastating. Not only did he lose his arm, he, he took a man's life. And his shame because of it, he basically never spoke of it for a single moment once the time he left that bar. His entire life. They said that no one can recall him ever speaking a word of it. Right? And he emotionally, in many ways, he died on that day. Well, all of a sudden I began to realize, well, my my dad, this, this was his primary male role model. This is the guy that taught him what it was like to be a man, this is, my dad ends up being shaped by this story significantly and my dad has shaped who I am and the reality was this story wasn't just some crazy story that I could pull out to try to get a little bit more money from a publisher, this was, um, this was my story. It was playing out on any given day in the way that I speak to my wife or my kids. Do you follow me, Are you tracking with me? And what I'm saying, that this, this story um, is is me. And my prayer is that we'll read the scriptures, not as these people trying to gain some facts or try to be, there's this always this Christian argue guy. Don't be that guy. Like, um, and hopefully none of you guys are in that place yet. Usually about college age, there's a few. You get in this age where Christian guys decide about 22 that they understand the Bible completely and they're just ready to go argue with people about their understanding of the Bible. Nobody likes that guy. Nobody. Their mother doesn't like them. I promise. Um, it, it, be the person that, that teaches and calls people to the Scripture humbly. Not trying to look for a place to argue, but say, God, what are you saying to me about how I'm to live And how I'm to be changed, right? And as we read the scriptures, if we read them well, we realize this is our story. And part of the reason we realize it is because God didn't just send down condemnation. He didn't burn us up in flames for what we deserved in our sin. He came to earth in the most fragile forms, in what we call the incarnation, to walk among us, to teach us, and to instruct us so that we would know the path to walk. Right. So I'm going to read to you from John chapter 1, and we'll spend some more time over the next few days in this. We've, this is a little tighter session um, today. But what we're looking at is this essential Christian doctrine called the incarnation, that God came to dwell with us, to walk with us, not just to pass on information to us, but to touch us. Right? I, I don't know about you, but I'm, uh, I'm not typically obsessive-compulsive disorder, but I have kind of a... Uh, OCD thing when it comes to public restrooms, right? So I'm very particular in public restrooms. I, uh, I have kind of a system down. And you don't realize maybe that you even have a system until you have kids because kids don't have any kind of filter for... They don't realize they're in a restroom. They just think it's like a living room, so they'll hug the toilet. They'll, I mean, I've got a two-year-old. He'd put his mouth on it if you let him. He just doesn't, he doesn't compute, right? So when you have kids, especially when you get four, you're just constantly like, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't... And you're trying to train them that this is a toxic battleground. You'll die from this bacteria, right? So you, you need to scare them is what you try to do. And so you explain to them, listen, this stuff is sick. It's diseased. It may look like even at an airport, right? I was traveling with one of my kids and I was teaching her, you know, this is what you do. You, I hope you do the same things, right? You flush with what? Your foot or your elbow. That's pretty creative elbow. I hadn't done that. I use my foot, right, and again, your elbow is disgusting now that I think of it, because I've been using my foot. My foot's been down there on the ground. I don't know if you've looked on the ground in the men's bathroom, but it's disgusting. Then you put your elbow there. Gross. It's disgusting. Go wash your elbows, buddy. That is sick. Um, Right, and you, hopefully, like, I've been uh, stretching out a little bit, so pretty soon I'm going to be able to do the faucet with my foot, right, if I can get it up. You just, you realize, and I hope all of you know a well-laid-out restroom, right, when you see the trash can where? By the door. So you can use the paper towel, right, to open the door, then you throw it away. Anybody else with me? Come on. All right, the rest of you are going to die, so um, you have lots of germs in you. You're very sick people, right? So I'm training my kids, right? This is what you do in public restrooms. And as I'm training them, I realize I I think most Christians view the incarnation like I view a trip to the public restroom. How do I live in this world without actually having to touch anyone? How how do I live in this world without actually having to engage engage a culture that might infect me somehow? with their bad ideas or their corrupt thinking. And if you read the Gospels, I highly recommend them. Jesus is the complete opposite. It's like he's got a radar for the people that no one would touch, and that's where Jesus goes. And what does he do? He touches them, right? He wasn't afraid he was going to be infected. And it's interesting that the one man that was sinless was also willing to touch what everyone else was afraid to touch. I'm gonna read to you from John chapter one. And we're just gonna meditate on uh, this passage. Several years ago, I was really disturbed by a survey that ranked, I'd written this book on Enron. Uh, I got to meet with Ken Lay, who's the son of a Baptist pastor. I'm the son of a Baptist pastor. I thought, how do you end up going from, growing up in the home of a Baptist pastor to being at the worst corporate scandal in American history. And I wanted to sit down with him. Kinley at the time uh, was considered the most hated man uh, in America. And I was even more uh, puzzled because I was searching these surveys. I found one and it, they were s- surveying the most hated people groups in America. And part of it really um, surprised me that uh, the, the first two I wasn't surprised by. They said the most hated people in, in the US People group were serial killers. I hope that's still true. Um, if you like serial killers, apparently there's a whole genre of women that write love letters to serial killers. I'm very confused by that. But, um, and then there, uh, the second were pedophiles. Nobody likes people that hurt children. right? And after serial killers and pedophiles was evangelical Christians. I thought, what, what happened? what happened the, the things you're going to hear about over the next few days this this king that was born into the world in a place that he was so vulnerable could be so hurt and was willing to be hurt so that he could declare a love that was transforming so that all people could be freed from their bondage and slavery, so that a new kingdom would reign where everyone had enough, where love abounds, where selfishness would be put aside, the the one that came declaring this kingdom, the people that followed him became hated because people thought um, they were angry and self-righteous and on down the list. That's not true Christianity, right? So true Christianity will always be incarnational will call us to touch people, to love people, to embrace them in good times and in bad. So let me read to you. I'm going to be reading to you this week a great deal from a Bible translation project that I read, so it may look a little different than what you have in front of you. It's a project where we've gotten the very best scholars in each of these unique books and found some great poets and storytellers to work with them on the translation. It's a translation called The Voice, published by Thomas Nelson and Nelson Bibles. And I got to do the work in the Gospel of John with a great scholar named Alan Culpepper. And this is John chapter 1, this reminder uh, of God's creative work in the world. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to ask you to pray through a few things, and then we're going to close out in worship, and then I'll look forward to being back together tonight. Agree? Okay, follow with me in the Scripture. Before time itself was measured... the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. And this celestial voice remained ever present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in Him. This King that we're talking about, all of creation has come through Him. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light, light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazing through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. A man named John, who was sent by God, was the first to clearly articulate the source of this unquenchable light. This wanderer, John, who ritually cleansed, put in plain words the elusive mystery of the divine light that all might believe through him because John spoke with power. Many believed in the light, and others wondered whether he might be the light, but John was not the light. He merely pointed to the light, and in doing so, he invited the entire creation to hear the voice. The true light who shines upon the heart of everyone was coming into the cosmos, He does not call out from a distant place, but draws near. He enters our world, a world he made, and speaks clearly. Yet his creation did not recognize him. Though the voice utters only truth, his own people who have heard the voice before rebuff the center calling and refuse to listen. But those who hear and trust the beckoning of the divine voice and embrace him, they shall be reborn as children of God. He bestows this birthright not by human power or initiative, but by God's will. Because we are born of this world, we can only be reborn to God by accepting his call. The voice that had been an enigma in the heavens chose to become human and live surrounded by his creations. Isn't it amazing to think that God himself would subject himself to all of the struggles of creation. We have seen him, undeniable splendor enveloped him, the one true son of God, evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. John the Wanderer, who testified of the voice, introduced him. This is the one I've been telling you is coming. He is much greater than I because he existed long before me. Through this man, we all receive gifts of grace beyond our imagination. That's part of what we're going to talk about over our next few days. The gifts of grace that have been bestowed on you. He is the voice of God. You see, Moses gave us rules to live by, but Jesus, the liberating king, That's how we translate the word Christ. The word Christ is a declaration. It's a title. Some of us thought it was Jesus' last name. Um, But the truth is, it's a declaration that he is the king. The king that came, where many thought kings came, as we were reminded before, to oppress people and to seize power, this king came to liberate people, to free them. Jesus, the liberating king, offered the gifts of grace and truth, which make life worth living. God, unseen until now, is revealed in the voice, God's only st- Son, straight from the Father's heart. My prayer for us over these next couple of days is that we would truly encounter a living God. I believe that as we read the Scripture, I fully believe that God will speak to you about people that you are to love and to embrace. I believe that God is going to speak to you about your relationship with your parents. I believe that if you listen, you will be changed. You will be different. All is a result of a God who came to live among us. Would you bow with me and allow me to pray for you? God, I thank you for my young brothers and sisters, for the gifts of grace that you've bestowed on them. I can see in their eyes and in their stories that many of them are talented, they're gifted, they're smart, they're intelligent. You've given them gifts of leadership. You've given them visions of the kingdom, an ability to share from themselves, to give selflessly. Lord, you have equipped them with all of the tools that they need to see the kingdom play out here on earth as it is in heaven. And our prayer is that over these days, that you would speak to them so clearly That they would better know and understand the the unique gifts that you've given them, the roles that they play in their church, in their youth group, in their school, in their city, in their community, the way that they call their churches to share from their abundance so that needs are met across the globe, that through their lives, you would truly change the world. And Lord, we believe that it begins in a whisper, as your spirit speaks, guides. Lord, we pray that um, in all the noise of great music, as we read, as we tell stories, as we gather together, that all of these things would be heard, but that most of all, each of us here would hear your voice speak to us. And that we'd be willing to be as faithful as we'll hear tonight that Joseph and Mary were, that when you spoke, they just, they got up and they did what you asked them to do. I believe that each of these young people are just as gifted and called as Joseph and Mary. I pray that over these days they come to realize it and that they respond with the same kind of obedience. We pray this prayer in your name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.